Have you ever considered or wondered why so often the Bible teaches us to be content? Um, what the word even means or why the thought process is mentioned so much? Is it merely just something that's there for the sake of good character or is there more to it than that? So that's what we're going to muse about today. So let's begin with a couple definitions now uh and of course we're going to define the word content now in the old testament uh the word means to be willing to agree to something or to be pleased pretty much what it sounds like um to be content the new testament pretty much isn't different at all it means um to find something sufficient or to be satisfied or once again to be pleased so we do want to start there at the definition just so we can know what this word even means. When we talk about to be content or contentment, what does the word even mean? So that's what it means. It means to be satisfied, uh, to find something sufficient, uh, to agree to something, to be pleased with something. So as we Look at the rest of this. Keep that in your mind. That's what it means to be content. Um, it, it, you know, it doesn't have to be some real deep thing. It's just that's what it means to be satisfied, uh, to 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 find something sufficient. This is enough for me. I'm happy. Oh, I'm pleased with what I with what I have. So consider that thought process as we kind of go on with this musing. Just remember what the word even means. So. Firstly, I think it's important to note that the principle of contentment is much stronger in the New Testament than in the Old. And the reason I say that, because I think it's important, um, I really find reason to it. And part of the reason is that in the Old Testament, you're dealing mostly with the Israelites and they were seeking something different from the Christians or the saints we see in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, the Israelites quite literally were seeking to build an earthly kingdom. Um, and so, I mean, this is why that matters. This is why contentment for them would be a little different from contentment or, you know, for Christians today. Um, and when you're if your goal is to build uh, an earthly kingdom, then contentment can be somewhat of a problem. Uh, I mean, just a, a good example, you know, we all know the thought process that the promised land was a land flowing with with milk and water. But suppose you're content, you know, in the land where you are that, you know, just flows with water, you know, and more water. What what does it mean to you that this other land is is just is great? It's wonderful. Well, if you're content, I mean, so what? You know, if they if they were just content being out of Egypt or even in Egypt, then you know that exodus never actually happens or desiring to be out of the desert never actually happens because of 
contentedness. So generally speaking, they had different promises, okay, from God than the saints do. They were promised pretty much this world. Um, if they obeyed God, he would bless them in this life, in this world. He would cause them pretty much to be the kings of this world. Whereas for the saints, we have different promises. We're not promised this world. Um, we're promised a better world, a better kingdom. Hebrews is wonderful in explaining all of that. So I really think that's why the New Testament I mean, so much stronger speaks to us about being content in this life, whereas though there are some principles for it in the Old Testament, they just had different promises. So their discontent kind of led them to seek more what God wanted for them in this life. So um, most of what we look at as far as contentment goes, we're going to look at through the New Testament as the saints to really get a good idea of why we're told in this life uh, to be content. So uh, with that, let's go right to scripture um, and really look at first off just what I'm even talking about as far as the, the Bible mentioning contentment. Um, let's first go to scripture to read some scriptures that talk about contentment. So first go to Hebrews chapter 13 and then to the fifth verse in that chapter. Uh, this is what it says. Let your conduct and be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So let your conduct, how you live, be without covetousness. Be content with whatever it is you have. Already we're starting off on level five. Because, I mean, when you think about it, you know, being content with what you have is so against uh, American culture, you know, so against, you know, what society teaches, be content with what you have. Now, interesting point here, because it says, let your conduct, how you live, how you go about life be without covetousness. So the question is covetousness, the opposite of contentment. I would say not necessarily. Okay. If you just think about it, um, to covet is to have a desire for something that doesn't belong to you. Um, that's not necessarily the exact opposite of of contentment um contentment as we'll see later on can help cure covetousness but it's not you know black and white as far as that goes um you know a, a good example is okay say you're discontent with your job that doesn't necessarily mean you're coveting another job you just may not want to work at all you know so i mean it's not like okay yeah because you're discontent with your job shows that you want somebody else's job not necessarily so we'll look more into content but i just want to make that point it's not necessarily the exact opposite of covetousness though it can seem that way um so there's definitely a relationship uh between you know the two and we'll look more into that but that first thought process already starting all very strong as far as the bible just speaking of being content your lifestyle it says should not be covetous but instead we should have the mentality that we're content with whatever it is we have i mean it's like how do you read the bible and not muse sometimes just as you go through these things and consider i mean what does that mean for you in your life but i mean let's let's go on another scripture philippians chapter four and i'll start at I'll start at verse 11 in Philippians chapter 4. 
And so we see Paul speaking here and he says, uh, not that I speak in regard to need for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I've learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need than that famous one. Um, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I do think it's interesting that we use that last one for everything else except for contentment. I think it's funny. You know, Philippians 4.13, so popular. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me as we go through trying to conquer the world. <laughs> Though Paul's point was, I know how to be content. I can do all things through Christ. Isn't that amazing when you use the context of Scripture? <laughs> you re realize what he's actually talking about. So that's just an amazing point by itself. He says, through Christ, I know how to be content. Through Christ, I know how to be poor and still be content. Through Christ, I know how to be rich and still be content. I bet that doesn't sound hard, but it is. You know, when I have the ability to get whatever I want, I still learn how to be content. When I can't get the things that I want at all, I still know how to be um, content. But you see, he's saying it as something that is vital, that is important, you know, being content. So go to uh, another one. And we'll find this next one in the third chapter of Luke. Okay, and this is just John the Baptist. Um, and he was, you know, preaching as he did in verse 14. We see him say, uh, likewise, the soldiers as he's preaching about how they ought to be. So the soldiers say to him, uh, so what should we do? And he responds to them, uh, do not intimidate anyone or accuse them falsely and be content with your wages. So I guess maybe a lot of us are soldiers in the world today because a lot of people aren't content with their wages. That's just an interesting thought. But again, I'll leave that alone for now because we're just looking at the concept of being content and looking at how scripture, um, like I said, primarily in the New Testament, speaks so much about the need for us to be content. So then going to first Timothy now and the sixth chapter, um, and this will really lead us to a very important teaching of Christ as far as contentment goes, but first Timothy, the sixth chapter, and then start at the sixth verse. And it says this now godliness with contentment is great gain. Now this was in contrast, of course, to those who would believe that gain is godly. Okay. That's, that's what he's referencing this about. You know, those who suppose in verse five, that gain is, is evidence of godliness, you know, or means for, you know, godliness is a means for gain. In other words, I'm godly so I can get stuff. So the thought process is instead, no, godliness with contentment is great gain. But then keep going in verse seven, for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out. And now here's where it gets to the thought process I want to go to. I think Christ explains it uh, just so much more um, in verse eight, it says, and having food and clothes with these, you should be content. Now, again, uh, with these musings, I, my thing is really I, I say the word so much and I use it so much because I think people don't muse enough about scripture. They don't really think about it. There's a bad habit of just reading it and moving on or, you know, trying to find something otherworldly deep when the simple message sometimes is so deep. This is a moment. This this is a scripture. First Timothy six, eight. That really warrants you if you've never looked at it deeply to just consider it, you know, just to just consider what he's saying and how it makes you feel. 
and you know just how different of a mentality you might have to see if your life lines up with scripture look at this first timothy 6 8 says this and having food and clothes you should be content just think about that for a minute you know uh pause if you tell I me mean, whatever you have to do just take a minute whenever you can to just think about what that scripture means with food and clothes you should be content what was the definition of content satisfied pleased or to feel that you have everything that you need sufficiently wow <laughs> wow with food and clothes you should be content but we have to look more at this and i think who better to go to to explain how one can feel that way than Jesus himself? So go to Matthew, the sixth chapter. And starting with verse 24. And this is really going to start to break us down to the the why portion. You know, all these scriptures tell us to be content. But um, I want to look at why we should be content. And I really think this scripture starts off with the why. So start, start at verse 24, Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. Right there, we have an answer. It, it gets even deeper, but it starts right there. You can't serve two masters. These are Jesus's words. If you regard Christ, then you have to recognize the truth of this statement. Nobody can successfully serve two masters. No matter how much you try, you can't do it. How come? Uh, for either you will hate one and love the other, or else you will be loyal to one and despise the other. Um, you can't serve God and mammon. So even if you somehow manage to serve both a little bit, um, you're really going to just, you know, be loyal to one and despise the other. So often, and if, you, if we're honest with ourselves, we can see it in our lives. Sometimes we try to force our flesh to serve God when it really has no desire um, for whatever reason. You know, we can look at the reasons another time, but there's that loyalty when really you despise it. You know, on the one hand, you're loyal to your flesh. And anything that God says to do, you really despise it. Ways to live, your mentality, your relationships, you really hate it. You know, you secretly hate those things of God sometimes because I'm actually loyal to the flesh. So even when it's not an outright hatred of one and love for the other, sometimes there's just that hidden loyalty where really to my flesh, I'm true. And to God, it's here we go again. You know, here we go again with more stuff I'm supposed to or to not do. So already we see a why as far as contentment goes. You can't serve two masters. You're going you're not going to love them both when they're contrary to one another. Um, so really, this thought process in one way boils down to loyalties. I mean, continue reading in Matthew now uh, going down to verse twenty five. Um Therefore, I say to you, Jesus speaking, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink. I mean, this is the heart of contentment. This is what Paul was saying in uh, in, in uh, first Timothy that we just read. This is what he's talking about. Um, don't be concerned about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, neither about your body, what you will put on. I find the scripture exciting that, you know, um, God says that he will provide if we don't worry about it. We don't have to worry about these worldly things if we will live for him but let's just keep reading don't worry about what you're going to put on it's hard to just keep reading though i mean honestly it's like how much time do we spend worrying about what we put on what we're going to eat what we're going to drink i says is not life more than food and your body more than clothes wow <laughs> um 26 look at the birds of the air they don't sow they don't reap they don't gather into barns 
yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they are? Uh, which of you by worrying, this is just kind of a, a good point, can add one cubit to his stature? Nobody, not through worry anyway. So why do you worry about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. Uh, they don't uh, toil or spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O ye of little faith, therefore do not worry, saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear for all these things? The Gentiles seek. Wow. I mean, you talk about you talk about contentment and trust and faith. What a thought process. So he says the Gentiles. Now we look at the, these things and we say it's very reasonable to be concerned about what I'm going to eat or what I'm going to drink or what I'm going to wear. Jesus says, no, it's not. Jesus says the Gentiles spend their lives worried about these things. He says we ought not to be um, for your heavenly father knows what you need. OK, he knows you need all these things. And with that is a huge statement of being able to trust God. God knows what I need and will take care of the things that I need so I can do what he wants me to do in this world without worrying about the things I need. It's honestly that simple. Why will God meet my needs so you can live for him in this world? Yes, he loves you. Yes, he cares for you. But he meets your needs so you can live for him without worrying about your needs. It is that simple. He wants you to focus on a certain thing. And if he didn't take care of us, it would be very difficult to focus on that thing on that thing. We corrupt that, of course, um, through discontentment. But we'll we'll get to that point. Um, so Jesus goes on to say in 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and he'll and all these things will be added to you. He'll take care of the things that you need if you're seeking his kingdom first. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow um, for tomorrow will worry about its own things sufficient for the day is the evil thereof. Um, so the evil of tomorrow is going to happen. You can't stop it by worrying about it. So don't worry about it. Trust in God. He'll take care of the things that you need if you're seeking his kingdom first. That's a big if right there. If you're seeking his kingdom first, he will take care of your need. So in this, we see Jesus exhorting us to be focused on God's kingdom, not the kingdom of our own making in this world. So without contentment, we can't do this. It's, it's that simple. You know, going into the mute and going the music, going into the contented. So if we're not content, we cannot do this. We cannot simply focus on God's kingdom and be satisfied with food and clothes. I mean, and think about this. And I know you're thinking it. If, if you're thinking at all, you're thinking this. He didn't even mention houses, did he? We often say, I remember growing up and people pray, God, thank you for food, clothes and shelter. And we throw shelter in there. I think it's so interesting that Jesus doesn't even add that. He just kind of says with food and clothes and uh, Paul mimics him in Timothy with food and clothes be satisfied. I mean, unbelievable. But where do we get? I mean, why do they stop there? What did John the Baptist have shelter? No. Did Jesus have shelter? He says no. He says he's the son of man. He doesn't have a place to lay his head. So we see here an absolute trust of God. Um, we see a bonus. We see a plus. We normally have a shelter. Uh, but he says with food and clothes be content. Without being content, 
we cannot completely focus on God's kingdom because we're seeking to build a kingdom of our own in this world. It's that simple. And if we know who the God of this world is, whose kingdom are we actually building? That that's another pause, you know, another Selah, another muse about that for a second moment. Um, if we're not content, then we're going to have a huge problem seeking God's kingdom first, because if we're at all catering to our flesh, our flesh definitely wants us to focus on the kingdom that we're building here in this life, in this corrupt world. So that's a big statement there without contentment. We can't do this. We can't seek God's kingdom first if we're not content. We can read the scripture as much as we want, memorize it, make songs about it, but we can't do it if we're not content. Um, but but before really going to the to the why, but let, let's look at a couple more, a couple more scriptures here. Um, one being in Second Timothy. I love this one. Chapter two, verse four. It says no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Why? so that he can please him who enlisted him as a soldier that's so huge you know that that's so huge as far as contentment goes not entangling yourself in this life so that you can be a good soldier here's another one i like uh in peter first peter chapter two and i love the 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 way peter uh, uh writes this one the way he speaks this if we look at verse 11 um and it says, beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. That's huge the way he says it, because he's saying he's not saying if you were, but he's saying since you are as the saints of God, as a sojourner, as a pilgrim, as someone who's simply walking through, abstain from fleshly lusts. It takes a pilgrim to do that successfully because simply speaking a citizen doesn't have that thought process a citizen cannot accept that that thought process so 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 let's look at the why let's jump right let's 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 stop it at peter as far as the scriptures go and look right at why why be content why is this spoken of so much um in scripture why is this such a huge thing to the saints to the new testament church why is it such a big deal to be content is this just about being nice and not, you know, uh, goggling or Googling, whatever the word is, over everything I see? Um, or is there a deeper, deeper reason why the saints ought to practice contented living? So simple answer. We know that there's more of a reason. Contentedness. And here's the thing. It, it directly relates to one's ability to live for God in this life as a stranger, as a pilgrim, as a sojourner, as an ambassador. It directly relates to it if i don't practice being content um then i'm going to have a problem living for god in this life the way he wants me to live for him and that's as a pilgrim that's as an alien um that says an ambassador a representative of his kingdom if i'm not content it's so difficult for me to do that so looking at peter's argument as pilgrims live like this that's his argument since you're a pilgrim do this okay that i mean that's the argument he makes in, in 11 verse 11 we just read it i beg you as pilgrims stay away from fleshly lusts because they war against the soul 
a pilgrim, only a pilgrim, I would say, can accept this thought process. A citizen, I would say, cannot because a citizen says, but it's my right to indulge in fleshly lust. That's what the flesh says. Your flesh is a citizen of this world, of this corrupt world. So your flesh looks at this scripture and says, yeah, right. Your flesh looks at this scripture and says, no way. And that's why that as long as we're in this flesh, we're going to have that battle. But our spirits who knows that, who 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 ought to know that we don't belong here should be almost relieved by this thought process. This is what I want. This is how I can focus on the kingdom of God. So his argument is simple. Since you're a pilgrim. OK, as pilgrims, I'm begging you as a pilgrim that you are. Stay away from fleshly lust because they war against the soul. A citizen wants more always. OK, this is my place. I want it to be better. I want it to fit me more. I want you know, I want to benefit from everything in this life because I'm a citizen of this place. A pilgrim simply uses what they need as they journey along. A pilgrim is simply moving through. I'm on my way somewhere else. See, a sojourner is journeying along. OK, they're going through a place. They're not there to stay. They might be there for a while, but it's not their permanent habitation. They're moving through. So if I'm content, the things of the world don't affect me as much as they do others. This all helps me to live for God. I mean, that's that's what this is about. If I reject this thought process, I cannot live for God as I ought to. Okay, so being content takes a whole lot of the strain um, off of us that the world will put on us. Okay, so I mean, to make it real short, in order to live for God, I can say when I'm content, I don't need all these other things. So I'm not saying I God, I could live for you if I only this and that. If I simply had this thing, I would be able to focus more on living for you. Or if I had the ability to live for you this way or that way, or, or, or if I didn't have to do this, or all these other excuses that we're trained to make, we wouldn't have if we're saying, you know what, God, you've given me all I need. I'm satisfied with exactly what I have at this moment. What do you want me to do for you? Now, I, these are huge words and they're from scripture. I mean, the, the, this is a really big thought process. I mean, sad to say, but it's sometimes very foreign to what we learn, what we get from church. It's, it simply is um, this thought process that I should be able to say, God, thank you for what I have. I'm satisfied. I'm satisfied with it. What do you want me to do for your kingdom? Uh, regardless of what is going on in my life, in the world, I don't need that to change to live for you. I don't care if it changes because I'm satisfied. I have food. I have clothes. God, you even threw in a house. So I've got shelter, however big or small it is. I don't care. What do you want me to do for you? I mean, wow. Talk about convicting. Talk about something that we need to think about. Talk about the things that hinder us from living for God and how often it's some worldly thing. How often it's the it's the exact opposite of what the content life looks like. So honestly, with contentment, trusting God is so much easier because I'm not always looking for, you know, another worldly thing to uh, procure my peace. You know, I'm, I'm, I don't care what the world gives me or takes from me. I have peace because of who I am in Christ. But I can only do that when I'm content. 
I can trust God. I can know he's going to take care of me because even if it's the minimum, I have what I need as he promised to take care of the things I need. I need. I know what I need. And then he promises to take care of those things without me having to be concerned about what I need. So, I mean, it's just a, a I mean, they're just an awesome thought process. If I'm content, I can trust God um, without this life getting in the way and making me feel as though I'm missing something. And uh, and another thing, though, I mean, another thought process about why it's so important to be content. Um, if I'm not content, it becomes very difficult to desire, as I said earlier, or to seek God's kingdom first because I'm building my own kingdom or somebody else's kingdom here on earth. I mean, that's the that's the why right there. What we what Jesus said in, in Matthew chapter six, what he how he told us to be. If I'm not content, it's very hard to seek God's kingdom first because I'm I want to add an addition on to my kingdom. In whatever way, you know, this is not even talking about a building, but in whatever way, whether it's an addition through something physical, whatever. I mean, it will be physical, generally speaking, if it's of the flesh. But I want to add something onto myself, onto my kingdom here. So it gets to the point where God's kingdom is pretty much a pest. Okay, God's king having to seek God's kingdom first is in the way of me building my own kingdom and having my own stuff that brings me joy and excitement and fulfills me in the flesh. And I'm, you know, people see me this way and I'm great and, you know, and all these other things. If I'm not content, all that stuff plagues me. And so just having this thought process, God, how can I further advance the goal of your kingdom while I'm here? And here's the thing while I'm here. I know the thought process is today. Well, how can I do it today? Well, what I need to do is have a lifetime, a lifetime and a lifestyle set up so that that's my focus, seeking God's kingdom first, as opposed to, okay, today I'm going to uh, read the Bible and tell, you know, a coworker about Christ. How about that be your life? So you don't have to make these challenges. Okay, today, how about that? If we're really having that mentality, I just go through my life that way. So it's not some challenge that makes me all nervous. It's just something that I do. Okay, so when Jesus says to be content with food, with clothes, already we begin to add. I mean, if you're if you're honest and again, you took a minute right now to think about this and you and you asked yourself, what do I add to this list now do that actually take a moment and ask yourself what do i add to this list jesus said with food and clothes be content paul echoed him uh, with food and clothes be content now stop there now start to think okay here's the musing process what do you add to that list okay so you got shelter you got a car you got relationships you know you got you know, leisurely act. I mean, what I'm just whatever you add to that list, just be honest with yourself. Stop and think about it for a second. Am I truly content with food and clothes? Am I truly content with the simple things that I need? And now I'm ready to live for God because I have food and clothes and I know I don't have to worry about those things. We add so much to that list so often completely ignoring the point that Jesus was trying to make and then making excuses for why we added to the list of things that we did. 
right? Some things we just, oh, this is a given. We also have to have this, 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 and this. So now we've added to the list. So now when I don't have those things or when I, they're not, you know, up to par with what I want, now my contentment is in trouble. And now I'm having problems focusing on the kingdom of God and also um, having issues abstaining from fleshly lust because my list goes on and on and on. So to seek God's kingdom, as I should, being a good ambassador, being a good soldier, um, it's necessary uh, you know, being satisfied with what he has pro provided me in this life. Okay. And it can't only be, you know, uh, an obsession with, okay, my, my material things. I have to be completely comfortably, comfortable materially to be able to, no, no, no. I have to be satisfied that what he has given me is what I need because he said, I mean, again, read those verses in Matthew chapter six, starting at 24 and going through the end of the chapter, read those verses. And Jesus said, look at the grass. Look at, there are some weeds that dress better than, you know, than I do easily. Okay. There are just some things that we call weeds that are absolutely beautiful. Um, and let alone flowers and other things like that. And he's, he speaks of the birds and everything. So God will take care of his children. He absolutely will take care of you if you are seeking his kingdom first. So if I can have faith and trust, if I trust God that all my needs will be taken care of, I have the ability to focus on the kingdom of God first. And if I don't practice contentment, very simple, I'm going to struggle with the flesh so often that it will become, now look at this, the majority of what my pilgrimage is about. Just consider that if I don't practice contentment, my struggle with the flesh will be so great that I will never be able to really be an ambassador for Christ. And think about that. That's all Satan wants to stop you from me. We have the we're supposed to be ministers of reconciliation, crying out to people, be reconciled to God. But when all I can think about is wanting a little more of this world, that's enough. You're doing no damage to Satan's kingdom. You're doing no damage to the corrupt system of this world uh, where the Bible says he is the God of this world. You're doing no damage to it if you are not content because your mind is so focused. Our minds will be so focused on the world that we cannot even successfully be ambassadors. We cannot even be lights or examples to the world. I mean, think about it. It has gotten to the point where Christians have to speak so much because our lives so often aren't a reflection of Christ. We're not lights in the world. We're mouthpieces because when people look at us, we look just like everybody else. We want more. We're not satisfied. We're complaining. We got ahead of most stuff. Our prayers are all God. I want this, this, this and that. And this is what we do. And then we go to them and say, oh, yeah, but by the way, we're just here for Christ's sake. And they're looking at us like, oh, yeah. I mean, it's the type of thing. Are we hip when when people accuse Christians of being hypocrites? Are they right? They shouldn't be. You know, the Bible says they shouldn't have a leg to stand on uh, when they accuse you. You know, they, they should feel foolish for accusing you because it shouldn't be true. Is it true? So here's the thing. If, if, if this isn't my thought process, if I'm not going to be content, then my pilgrimage here is going to be all about the flesh. It's going to be about the struggles I have. It's going to be about God. Why does my sink leak? And why does my roof leak and why is my house so small and my car always breaks down and, you know, this job takes up so much time and, uh, you know, I wish I had more friends and, you know, so I'm going to go do that in spite of whether they are about you or not. And I want people to like me and I also want to have a fun hobby that I can enjoy. All these things are about the flesh. 
and it hurts to hear it, right? I mean, that's the scripture. I mean, it can be convicting, but this is the truth of it. As long as we're not content, we're going to struggle with the flesh to the point where that might become what our whole lives are about. Now, just imagine this. You stand before God where we all will stand before God to be judged what we did. You know, we will receive rewards. We will lose rewards, whatever it is. And we stand before God and say, God, okay, what I did for you was fight every day about wanting more stuff. That's what I did for you. God, thank you. You know, step aside. Let me let me in, please. All I succeeded in doing for you was fighting with myself about what I want out of this life. I mean, just consider that when, when looking back, if we had the ability to, it would just be what in the world was I doing? Why in the world did I look looking at the kingdom of God one day? If we had the ability to, we would look back and say, what a fool I was to be so caught up in how big my tent was while I was here or how nice it was or whatever thought process I might struggle with in the flesh. But that's what it would be if we say no to contentment and how important it is, it would be a constant fight. And I mean, just with that, a, a kind of a last thought, contentment helps with a whole lot of other things as well. Things that that hinder our walk, you know, um, contentment helps us fight against envy and, and jealousy and lust and covetousness. Like we talked about earlier and, and, and pride. And I mean, it, contentment helps deal with so many other things that our flesh constantly uh, wrestles with. Um, and, and really, not only that, jumping back to First Timothy for a second, um, because here's another important point from scripture chapter six now just drop down to one more verse we didn't cover verse nine and it says but those who desire to be rich here we go right those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition look at that for those who seek riches a whole lot of temptations have now been created when we seek riches out when we desire to be rich and not be content and to have more and more and more and more we we create this pattern where we're drowning in deceit we're drowning in uh in wickedness and we're pretty much uh leading ourselves into temptation because remember um even as we see in james and this is james chapter one it talks about nobody can say i'm tempted of god Okay, God doesn't tempt us. You know, uh, God can't be tempted with evil. It says we're tempted uh, when we're drawn away by our own desires and our own lusts. Okay, then then we're enticed. And when we're enticed, it gives birth to sin. When sin is done, it creates death. Now, notice who tempts us. We allow ourselves to be tempted by not being content. By lust, by having desires for this worldly stuff. Here it comes. Here comes the temptation. Here comes the sin. Here comes death. And with all these things, we find ourselves when we fall into these temptations, struggling to live for God, because now I want something else. I mean, that's that's just kind of a, a simple thought process of how that process works. Um, and I mean, you even look at, you know, James chapter four, uh, verse seven. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Submit to God first. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. You're too hard. If you resist him, there's nothing else he can do. He can't force you to do anything. Resist him and he will flee from you. 
I mean, it's it's as simple as that. So contentment, right? The thought process is contentment important or is it just something that we should kind of practice or think about every once in a while as we live our world? No, contentment is not a suggestion. Um, it's 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 a must if we are to successfully impactfully live for God in this life. We must be content. Uh, we must practice contentment if we're going to live for God in this life in a way that pleases him. And we have to be honest with ourselves about this uh, because the world absolutely is against this thought process, which it should be. I mean, you know, <laughs> Jesus said the world hated him. Of course, it, it would hate you and it would hate his doctrines and his teachings. So the world is completely I mean, look at any uh, uh, commercial or wh whatever it is, anything in the world is telling you not to be content want to look different want to have something different want to have something more something better it's all about being discontent none of it is about be satisfied with what you have wherever it may be as paul said he learned to abound uh he learned to be a base he learned to be rich poor whatever it is through christ he realized he was able to do all of it not through christ he learned how to become rich how a lot of people use it through Christ, I learned how to be the best. You know, through Christ, I learned how to get what I wanted. No, he was saying, I learned to be satisfied with all this fleshly stuff. I learned to trust God that he would give me what I need no matter what. I can do it. I learned that I can do it and still manage to live for him. I can do all things. Let's use that scripture in proper context. Let's use it for that. So the world, but here's the sad thing. Not only is the world against contentment. A lot of times we see Christians fight against the thought process. And I mean, that's kind of sad. The world can't help it. OK, the world doesn't have the spirit. This is what it understands life to be. So when the world says you only live once, you got to feel sorry for them. I mean, it's, this is what they believe. So they're going to wake up very surprised one day when they say, oh, you don't only live once. Oops. But those who are of Christ should know better. So the world, you almost feel sorry for them, you know, but those of Christ, we're supposed to know better. So when you see those in the church, you know, who teach against contentment, they're clearly being deceived by the God of this world. They're being deceived because they're becoming ineffective, okay, making excuses for their discontent um, to the extent where some of them actually challenge those who listen to them uh, to, to beg for more from the world, right? Don't be satisfied with life. You deserve more. You deserve a good life. You do why Jesus didn't have a good life in this world. Neither did, neither did the apostles, neither did John the Baptist, neither did the prophet. So why am I entitled to a good life in this world? Just think about that for a second. The apostles, when they were persecuted after Jesus was resurrected, they loved it because they said, this proves that we're with him. And yet I'm being taught that I'm supposed to have an awesome life. I shouldn't be sick. I shouldn't be poor. I shouldn't feel pain. I shouldn't look at all these foolish anti-biblical teachings when Jesus said the exact opposite thing. So you have people who actually teach and, and go against the thought process of being content, saying that we're supposed to demand more for our flesh in this world, knowing it simply leads us away and makes us ineffective in seeking God's kingdom first. So real simple. I mean, that's the musing. Uh, the truth is we're supposed to be satisfied. That's what content is. That's what contentment means. We're supposed to be satisfied, to be pleased with what God has given us. Um, and when we do that, our goal is to make sure our desires 
are toward the kingdom of God and furthering his kingdom and looking forward to his kingdom. See, if we love the world too much, it can get to a point where we're not, we don't even care. We don't even want to see his kingdom because I love earth so much. I don't even want to die. I don't want a rapture or, you know, I don't, I, I, I don't, it's no, no, no excitement there. I just want to keep my kingdom going. I just want to get more stuff and I want to have more fun and I want to build more and do more and see more. And I want to consume as much of this world as I possibly can to the extent that I hate the process of having to go to God's kingdom one day. How, how horrifying for a, a saint, for one of God's children who will inherit his kingdom to have that mentality where the flesh is so dominating that it will overwhelm my spirit to the extent that I have no desire for God's kingdom. Because I just bought a new car and a new toy, a new gadget, new gizmo. So I have no desire for God's kingdom because this stuff is so enticing to me. How horrifying, how, how sad when you think of what Christ did, what God did in sending Christ so that we could be a part of his kingdom. And we say, thanks, thanks, but kind of no thanks. Thanks, because if I have to, OK, but no thanks, because don't take me from here, though, because I'm doing pretty good building my own kingdom and I want more and more and more. And just one more thing, one more that I just want to see this happen first, God, then I can worry about your kingdom. I just want to be this first. I just want to do this first, God, then I can, you know, worry about your kingdom. It's a sad thought process. So there's contentment. I mean, there's that thought process. There's a it's a huge musing. It's something to really consider. What do you feel? about contentment we know what the bible teaches now if you didn't before you know now if you did know here's a reminder but we know what the bible teaches about contentment so the question is do you accept it how do you feel about it you know um do you understand the point of why we ought to be content it all goes back to exactly what christ taught us seeking god's kingdom first and that being who we ought to be